Do you hear the, the people sing, singing the song of angry men? It is the music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of the drums, there is a life about to start when tomorrow comes. Do, do, do. And we have our intro. <laughs> Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Anthony. Hey, this is Chris. This is Rob. And this is Daniel. All right, so this week we have a couple special guests with us, Rob and Daniel, who've hopped on down from Myriad Games. So we, you know, we play games with them every week. They've, you know, heard the podcast. They've given us ideas for the podcast. They've played games during testing for the podcast. Why not have them on the podcast? Because you know, no good deed goes unpunished, so we had to bring them on the podcast now. <laughs> so that's a warning to all of you out there. If you respond to our Facebook email accounts or have a suggestion, we will eventually drag you onto the podcast. Just watch out for the shackles. <laughs> <laughs> You're not leaving my basement. Oh, no. <laughs> they, they start chafing after a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, at least there's no lotion yet. <laughs> you know, I think that would help with the chafing, actually, if we were to... Rob, do you want to get the hose again? No, 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 no hose, please, no! <laughs> but anyways, welcome, guys. Thanks for coming on. Um, we've got a few games that we've played together, some stuff that we haven't necessarily had a chance to get out as much, but it's going to be fun, especially our feature review this week. Rob's, like... One, it's running the table at the store lately. Oh, quite literally. I've, I've pretty much showed every single person in the store how to play, uh, well, the game. I'm not, I'm going to not bury the lead. It's Quantum. So uh, it's been a very fun experience, in my opinion, at least, but we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, it's a fantastic game. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Civilization, which all four of us actually played. Mm-hmm. Um, not a full review, because that would be three hours <laughs> by itself. But Just like was, the game. Yeah. Three. Like civilization in general. Yes, yes. Optimistic. Why is this civilization not happening fast enough? Come on, evolve, evolve, evolve. <laughs> um, and then we're going to talk about a few other like hot games coming out that hit the radar for us lately um you know first up news obviously we've talked about this a little bit in the past uh chris and i are gonna meet pax in two weeks yeah this is pax east 2014 up in boston and uh it's a kind of like the mecca for indie video games and board games and there's gonna be a lot of opportunities to kind of try out new games get involved in tournaments and anthony and i are really looking through the uh schedule for the upcoming events because we want to do everything, but of course, everything happens at exactly the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's like all the board game tournaments happen between 11 and 1 o'clock. Wow. So we're, we're really not sure yet what we're going to do, but we're going to try to do as much as possible. And actually, if you're out there in the Boston area or you'll be visiting PAX East, we would absolutely like to meet you. So make sure to send us a message and let us know where you're going to be at. And we'd love to play a game with you or stand on one of these ridiculously long lines, you know, for the next four or five hours before yeah. we get a chance to play a game that may last 15 minutes. But uh, it's hopefully going to be a great time. And when we get back from PAX East, we'll have a full report of all these new releases and all the game companies that are there and all the new upcoming promos. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be me and Chris will be there. Dan and Kim will also be there with us. Um, we're hoping to have a good time. 
and play a lot of games. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how much time it's going to be spent board gaming versus looking at video game stuff. <laughs> I keep saying I'm not going to do that, but I know it's going to be split. So. It's a it's a fair ratio. You got to try and do a 50-50, especially at PAX. That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. You got to try. And try. Yeah. try. <laughs> Keyword on try. Yeah. I'm, I'm afraid of the video games because I'm afraid I'm going to come home with a PS4 or something. <laughs> I have to explain to my wife why I quadrupled my budget for the weekend. Because <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> but, um... But yeah, that'll be fun. Um, lots of upcoming events on uh, Staten Island here at Myriad Games, too. Rob, you're really involved in Mage Wars in the store, right? Yes, that's right. The uh, The Mage Wars uh, Archmage tournament is nearing its final two, three weeks at this point. And once that's done, uh, it's going to start up again, believe it or not. Uh, and it's going to start up again just in time for uh, new expansions coming out for Mage Wars. Because coming in June is the Forged in Fire expansion. And that's pretty much the big news about that. In fact, if you want to pre-order it now, you can at Myriad Games. So I do recommend it for those that are fans of Mage Wars, a two-player game especially. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a big, big event at the store the last, like, eight weeks. Um, you guys having, like, a big culmination mega tournament last week, or is it just going to be, like, a point-up? Well, the whole uh, tournament's been a big mega tournament at this point. <laughs> I mean, the, the way uh, Nick, our friend Nick, uh, structured it was pretty clever, where... If you win, you level up, and as you level up, you accumulate more points for your books. So what happens is eventually everyone's going to be around the same area, same level. They're going to have X amount of points, and final round, it's going to have final rankings. Winner gets a cash prize. Uh, Second place gets cash prize, you know, like store credit, of course. And every week, you have a chance of winning promo cards. So there is an incentive to play, even if you're, like, just starting out now. I know... uh, Another friend of ours, young Tom, uh, just joined up in the tournament uh, last night. So he's playing his first match uh, this week. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's been like the big thing at the store lately. Um, we've been trying to get a couple other tournaments set up, but it's, you know, winter. This winter's been awful. So, yeah. Yeah. a little bit. <laughs> yeah, timing has been ridiculous. Um, I know the other big events that we usually have around the store are anything WizKids related. Um, the news there lately has been their shipping delays, but I know there's some stuff coming up, right, Chris? Yeah, the uh, our BGA Attack Wing tournaments continue. Um, we're just finishing up the final event for the Dominion Wars. So we had a six-month arc, which is going to end with a um, final battle for Deep Space Nine, which is this really cool kind of two-by-two-foot miniature. And then um, what was supposed to start this month also was the Tholian Web episode from the original series, um, for you old school Trekkie fans, this is the one where the little ships kind of literally kind of create some kind of energy web that tracks, um, captures the Enterprise. Um, WizKids has announced that they have tremendous production delays on everything. Mm-hmm. So your Hero Clicks, your Star Trek Attack Wing, and many other things have been pushed back at least a month. So the Tholian web won't actually happen in April, but it will happen in May for everyone. And then um, the following month will be Arena, which is another one-month event. You might remember the Gorn, which was this big green rubber monster that was fighting Kirk. Yeah. Um, so that will actually happen, and you're actually going to see the prize ships, which is you couldn't even actually see in the show. So they actually went to some detail to create these. And then right after that will be the Borg arcs. So it'll actually be two three-month events where we'll be in the Voyager universe, and Voyager is going to be being released, and the Borg ships mm. will be released. So there's going to be a little shorter kind of arcs. I think they learned from the Dominion arc, which was tremendous and very thematic, but took a really long time, and we're losing players because 
if you were following it as WizKids had created it, um, somebody could be three or four months ahead in, ahead in points, and then nobody else could win. So they're kind of creating small arcs to kind of get new players in. It's a great system, and it's very simple to use. I taught Daniel, you know, pretty pretty recently how to use the uh, attack wing system. Yeah, um, a lot of fun. Does the uh, does WizKids the way they set up these smaller arcs? Are there all those points cumulative for the uh, big tournament as well? Sure. So they haven't released details about the Borg arc. They've been pretty kind of um, you know hush on that. Um, they've only released very small details about what the ships will look like, but I'm assuming it's going to be in the same format where you gain points for the three months and then whoever wins, wins whatever the big prize is, which everyone's assuming is going to be a big board cube. So, you know, even if you're not a Star Trek fan, you know about yeah. the board cube and it's probably going to be another, you know, one foot or two foot by two foot miniature, which is going to be crazy. I want it so much. <laughs> I can just hang that on a mobile in my room. Yes. I'm telling you. So, yes. If you've never, if you're not a Star Trek fan, um, this game really offers a lot of detail into the Star Trek universe. So it's a good way to kind of get yourself involved into it. But you don't have to know about the universe. So don't worry too much about. Oh, I don't know this the the universe. I can't get involved. You can. The cards are really easy to learn. The system is pretty simple. Now, if you ever have seen miniature games being played, they have tape measures and compasses and just rule books that seem endless. This is basically, you have your ships down, you have your cards that represent your crew, and then you put a cardboard template down that shows which way you move. So, pretty simple as far. And then once that happens, you roll dice and you see what happens after that. Now, hopefully... If you're not a Star Trek fan and I haven't lost you at this point, you, you should know that WizKids is also release, releasing Attack Wing for Dungeons & Dragons. So instead of the ships, you'll actually have dragons from the Dungeons & Dragons universe to play. It's going to operate the same exact way as Star Trek, where you're going to have cards and you're going to have the same types of miniatures with the same types of templates, but basically this is going to print money. And, you know, it's going to bring the D&D fans together. So um, do yourself a favor. Come down to Myriad. I will be happy to teach any and everybody who wants to learn how to use the system. So when the D&D comes out, you're all ready to go with that. I think it's really a good thing that they're just reskinning the system over and over again sometimes. Because I know sometimes it feels derivative when they do that. But with this system, it's very effective. I mean, we played one round. By the end of it, I, I knew the rules. I knew what was going on. And they're able to build... The, uh, a feeling of theme very effectively by changing up the kinds of cards they give you and the shape of the miniatures and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, and everybody can kind of pick the one they like, but then if someone mm -hmm. else, like, I like X-Wing, but if Chris wanted to play Attack Wing, it's the same rules roughly. Like, I could hop into that in two seconds yeah. and know how to play. Sure. All right, so, I mean, we've gone over this a hundred times. I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but kids, man, paint those minis. Paint them right. Yeah, the paint, the paint jobs are always a big problem. And it's kind of sad because you really do love the IP. And it's like when you, you see these minis, you're like, why, why, why would you do that? Why would you paint this, you know, four different colors that was never used in the actual show? And it hurts. It really does. Yeah. My, guess, my guess is they got the wrong palette number in the, uh, the shop they're using it in. I guess. I mean, if you're a painter, this is fine because the details are well detailed, especially from the looks of it. The, uh, Dun the Dungeons and Dragons dragons look highly detailed. And obviously the X-Wing is painted beautifully, but that's because of Fantasy Flight. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the models are fine if you want to strip it down and repaint it. 
Mm-hmm. Like, there's plenty of detail on the model. It's just... Yeah. Although the scale is, tr- is cartoonishly off. So, <laughs> why, is, why is that shuttlecraft bigger than my battleship? No, nah, don't worry about it. It's fine. It's fine. It's good. Whatever, man. It's fine. It went through a growth ray or something it like did. that. Yeah. All right. A um, couple other games we saw that are coming out soon uh, look pretty interesting. Um, you just bought something about an X-Files board game, Chris? Yes. The truth is out there, although the details aren't out there. So, all we really know is that there will be an X-Files board game. And we will buy it, and we will play it, and hopefully it's awesome, because it's X-Files. <laughs> and that's all we know right now. So. Look, I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not afraid to admit that I'm an X-Files fanboy, because X-Files was great. Um, and it, it has a lot of possibilities to be a great game. I'm wondering, you know, what way they're going to go with the mechanics. I'm kind of hoping it's following Monster of the Week-style uh, episodes, because anything with that giant black oil story arc was kind of boring in the x-files yeah from what i remember at least the evasion yeah. story yeah it was a 90s show it when was... they tried to like because they were towards that transitional phase when stories started getting more serial yeah and they didn't do a very good job of that it was like proto lost and lost yeah. was like mediocre at best lost was proto lost <laughs> <laughs> uh other game i saw that looked pretty awesome is portal the board game rob you play video games i do you, you play portal i did yeah good game oh yes yeah, great game. Will there be cake? There will be cake. Have you seen this? There's like little tiny cake pieces. Oh, at least so, it's not a lie then. Yeah, exactly. So the story behind this is that somebody at Valve, I guess a few people at Valve, were like, let's make a board game out of this. And so they've been working on it for a couple of years. And then they're like, we don't know how to publish a board game. So they went to Cryptozoic to say, we want to print this board game. So now it's going to come out sometime later this year. So it says Cryptozoic on the box. They didn't make the game. If you don't like Cryptozoic games... Um, you know, Cryptozoic gets a lot of IPs. Their games are sometimes a little watered down with pretty thin mechanics. Games are always decent. Sometimes they're not. They're not mind blowing though. Um, this is this is a Valve board game with Cryptozoic's influence. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with it. Yeah, I think that's a good partnership too, if considering Cryptozoic does handle a lot of uh, outside IPs. Yeah, and they're everything about like what they put out is good. The artwork's usually good. The components are good. That they deliver things on time. You know, it's a good company. Yeah. It's just the games are not always mind-blowingly all. You know, it's not Fantasy Flight putting out these ridiculously awesome games with IPs on them. So yes, with ridiculous, re- <clears throat> with ridiculous amounts of cardboard attached to it. Yeah, too. <laughs> the tiny little cards. Oh, <laughs> do we really need these action markers? Oh, it says we do in the rules. Okay, hey, we're all smart. We know it's an action. Put that away. Just put a big pile in the corner. One less thing of one hundred out of a thousand pieces. Yeah, Fantasy Flight needs to buy, like, a tackle company. Get those plastic boxes from the (laughs) fishing store. Just give them ideas to print more money. All right, next up, some of the stuff we've been looking at that we want to play. Acquisition Disorder Corner. All right, so what games are uh, looking interesting these days? I know Kickstarter has a lot of good stuff on it. We were just looking through this a few minutes yeah, ago, right, yeah. Daniel? Uh, there's one game I was looking at called Head of Steam. It looks really interesting. It's kind of like a customized mecha battle game in a steampunkish environment. It uh, starts off around $75 if you want to actually get a copy of the game to, to back it. The one thing that concerned me a little bit is it seems to be exclusively 2v2. I haven't looked at it deeply in... Uh, sorry, 1v1, two players total. Uh, I haven't looked at it deeply enough to be certain, but... Yeah, it looks like a war game, like that yeah. kind of, you know, 
what, what Command mean, and Color style. Which, which means it's competition is not the other board games that I think of when I think of board games. It's things like Warhammer 40K. It's these vastly uh, more complicated and more flexible battle systems, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for me, what it'll decide if I'm interested is if it's, you know, Warhammer size or mm-hmm. let's say Battlelord size. Because okay. Battlelord is a 45 minute game. Yeah. It's quick. It's two players, but it's short. Yeah. Um, Warhammer's. I don't know, 92 hours? I don't know how long it takes to play that game. <laughs> well, it depends on how good you are, number one. As someone who used to play Warhammer, I can tell you that I was not that good. So, uh, about 40 minutes as well. Um, I do have a question, though, about the uh, Steam. But uh, are they pre-painted minis? Or are they coming with uh, full-on scale minis? How is it working with that? Uh, they're, they're coming with little minis, but they're just uh, colored plastic. Right? Okay. Colored plastic. Yeah, they're you gotta paint them. Some of them are big, though, right? Yeah, there are some kind of bigger ones. That Tanks, right? Looks like you can pick different categories of mm. mecha to pilot. And yeah, this have... is definitely the battle lore slash memoir 44, where it's just literally one board, there's a line that divides them, and then you just set up your troops on one side or the other. You have your major main mech, and then you have your smaller kind of pawn pieces to kind of lay out. So, Yeah, yeah we'll see how long it takes to play. It's got a long time left, though. I think, like, 45 days. So if you want to back it, if you want to take a look at it, um, even when you're listening to this, you've got, like, five weeks. It's definitely worth taking a look at. The only thing that makes me nervous, again, is 1v1. I don't really do board games to play 1v1 all that often. It's it's more like a video game kind of experience if you're going to do that. Yeah. Yeah, unless you're in a tournament, those one-on-one games don't really scratch the social itch. Yeah. And then even then, the tournament doesn't really scratch a social itch. It's more of a competitive itch. Mm Mm-hmm. I own a lot of two-player games because when I started collecting, I was like, oh, me and my wife are going to play all these games, <laughs> which I have a two-year-old, so that doesn't really happen. But, mm-hmm. you know, I do like two-player games. It's just they don't come out very often. Yeah. So I definitely don't want to buy another one unless it's replacing what I already have. Yeah. And Steampunk is like zombies. Whatever they throw on, on uh, Kickstarter usually gets picked up. Yeah. <laughs> Although I'm hoping that there's actually a bigger universe built behind this because that's always what well, tends to be disappointing when you actually get to play the game. If it doesn't have a universe, a lore behind it, it's kind of like, yeah, my figure moves here and your moves there. That was great, I guess. And then you're just back to playing chess. Yeah. yeah. You get the mechanics down, but not uh, the reasons behind it, basically. Sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah, if I want to play a two player game, like at the store, I want it to be short. I bring the Duke with me every week for that reason. Like, hey, we have 20 minutes. Let's play the Duke real quick. It's yeah. a good one. Um, speaking of minis, of course, it uh, looks like there's a tactics version of Sentinels coming out. Is that what I saw? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, just confirming. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. There I was saw a, that too, and that's what I knew. There's a tactical hex grid <clears throat> combat system based off the characters from Sentinels. Uh, the Kickstarter was. I can't remember what the, where it started at though. In terms of um, price, so take, oh, take it was like fifty, right? For yeah, the, 50, just for the minis. Yeah, it it was in the higher price range if you wanted to get like the minis and the battle system. Yeah, this is uh, greater than games. They're using their Sentinels of the Multiverse kind of version with the cards, but actually, this is Sentinels Tactics. So it kind of has that hero clicks without the clicks kind of setup to it, where you'll set them up on a hex grid and kind of move them and then attack that way. Um, the Flames of Freedom. Um, so this is about at the probably the time of this release you'll probably have about 14 days to still kind of pick this up and as Daniel was saying so you could get the figures which I guess you could play with the card game if you'd really want to just to have something um, the figures are going to cost you 40 the game's going to cost you 50 
Um, if you really want to ever get everything together, it's going to be about 80 for it. So I'm a little concerned because, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, you know, Sentinels of the Multiverse, greater than games, their components have been a little weak. And, and especially initially their first release for Sentinels of the Multiverse, they were missing a lot of the chits that they needed to do. So they're kind of the opposite of Fantasy Flight, which is like, hey, you know, this was supposed to have chits in it, but you know what to do, right? You're good at this. So, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, you know, we'll, we'll talk about Sentinels a little bit, a little bit later, but a vast universe. And this is probably another little part to their kind of empire that's continuing to grow. Yeah. It looks interesting because it's two to eight players. Um, I haven't read enough about it to know, but like I'm sure it's a co-op of some kind. Um, I can't imagine a hex-based strategy game, eight people fighting each other. Oh, who knows, anyway? 16 hours later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but tacking on minis for that, I, I, I'm one of those people. I'm like I'm the I'm the guy who helps all these companies put the minis out. Like, ooh, minis! Now I want it. I did the same thing with Takedo. I'm like, I don't really need a hundred dollar copy of Takedo, but there's minis in it, so. Did you say minis? Yeah, exactly. I'm going to back that. What is it? I don't, I don't care what the game is. It's got minis, right? So I'm backing that. We yeah. can use those minis for other games, too. Yeah, let's back that game, too. Let's back them <laughs> twice. Let's get three copies of it. My painting backlog is <laughs> easily like 300 minis right now, and we have bones coming in in like three months. So. Yes. Oh, yes. I can't wait for that. It's, it's ridiculous. So when when is the Sentinels comic book coming out? Is there any word on that yet? Are they doing a comic book? I don't know. I'm just assuming they would at this point. They should, Because they're already right? making a ton of board games. Yeah, yeah, they should. I think it would help them. I mean, oh. just like you know, team up with Image or Dark Horse or something. Yeah, yeah. One of the like, smaller publishers. Yeah, they have enough backstory too. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be kind of cool. Million dollar idea. Go. You're wel- you're welcome, uh, company. <laughs> <laughs> Whose name I don't remember. Whose name I forgot because yeah. my Aww. head hurts. <laughs> Those guys were great though. Like when we were setting up for um, Extra Life last year, he tried so hard to get us a copy of the game, and it was just out of print that like the, for that month. Greater than um, games. Yeah, and even like the week after the event, he emailed me and asked. Like, did you guys still need a copy? I'm like, well, the event's, you know, it's over. Maybe next year we'll get a hold of you a little earlier. But they're pretty cool. Um, and their game's popular, so <laughs> buy it when you can. De- definitely. It's a pretty decent uh, deck builder yeah. type of game. So we'll talk about that a little later, because it's a cool game. Um, other Kickstarter stuff we saw, Chris, you saw Catacombs as a new edition, right? Yeah, if you, you may have seen this before, um, or maybe you haven't seen this before, because Catacombs, at least for me, kind of was underneath the radar because when you go to the game store you're looking for these nice colorful boxes with the visuals of the game or somehow describing or showing the lore or the characters catacombs had this straight black gray box with this little red ring and it said catacombs on it and basically didn't provide you with any information or any reason to actually pick up the box and uh what's inside is a dungeons and dragons you know crawl game but Catacombs is actually a pretty popular game. It's a dexterity game, so you have your characters. You can be an elf, you can be a warrior, a barbarian, and what you're doing in the game is you get these discs, and on the other side is all the monsters that you have to fight, and there's spots on the board that actually block movement. So you're actually flicking your warriors to attack the monsters and either hitting them to knock them out or knock them off the board. So in addition to like just flicking your... Um, barbarian to hit a dragon you can also have things such as an elf now instead of just flicking the elf you can actually shoot arrows by flicking little smaller discs at the monsters now as i said what you know what kind of pushed me off this game was it was just incredibly bland looking um the mechanics were pretty solid it's a well thought of game it won a number of awards 
but they're re-releasing it on Kickstarter with kind of a new cosmetic upgrade. So the artwork is a little more cartoony, um, and, you know, it, it actually has some type of a look to it. So instead of the, you know, ultra-serious type of, you know, monsters and destruction, it actually kind of goes a little bit more of the small world type of mm -hmm. tactic, which I think is more fitting for the game because any kind of dexterity game reminds me of, like, playing Caps or, you know, or Pogs or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So it's, like, it's very hard to kind of get into the deep lore of, like, this is dangerous and the monster's going to get me. Hold on a second. I need to flick this disc in order to save the day. And uh, so I really like the idea that they're actually doing it in a, a more jovial kind of fitting with the mechanics type of way. So, um, Elsewhere Games is releasing this. It's got about, by the time you, you hear this podcast, about another week to go. And they're crushing all of their stretch goals. So this might be something you want to pick up. But if you haven't played a dexterity game or you haven't um, had the opportunity to play this game in the past, definitely seek it out before backing this because it is a very different game than your traditional Dungeon Crawl games, even though it does have that theme. Pitch Car Dungeon. Pitch card dungeon. Oh my god, that was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> or like Discworld, which has been sitting in the store for God knows how long at this point. Yes. Oh yeah. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants it. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, does not look good. All right. Um. Yeah. Those are all on Kickstarter. They're all still available. They all can all be backed. <laughs> None of us are backing any of them yet, but you know they yes. look interesting. Um. Which kind of got me thinking, because there's been a couple games that have been hitting the stores lately that I did not back, and now that I wished I had. And this happens all the time, because Kickstarter's tough, man. Like, it comes out, you see, it looks cool, you get really excited, and then you start to question whether or not the game will actually be any good. Um, you don't want to spend $150 in a game you've never played before and find out it's cruddy. So it's, you know, I always, I always waffle back and forth on Kickstarters. I've only backed two or three lifetime. Um, and usually they're like the lower cost ones or a game I've already played like Canterbury I'd already played so I was fine with that um, but like you know Myth is hitting the stores now and when I see the price and then I see all the stuff you don't get in the retail version and then I see all the stuff you could get on eBay for $800 yeah I get I get sad because I'm like I could have backed that for like 200 and gotten all that stuff and either A played it or B resold it on eBay for $800 <laughs> the air in the room just like disappeared the minute you said that we were like sucked so in our much. stomachs by the thought of $800 for myth that's so yeah. much money but I know like Crossmaster Arena was the same if you didn't back it and get all the extra stuff it was almost a thousand bucks to get it all on eBay um, and the only place you can get it now is in a convention so we were at Comic-Con last year, and they had it at the Japanime Games booth. You could buy all the extra stuff, but that's the only place you can get it. it. It's weird, like, how this whole secondary market's starting to emerge now. Because of Kickstarter, you have all these extra collector's editions, specialty editions, whatever have you. All these extra pieces that are so hard to find because they made limited quantity. It's creating, like, $800, $1,000 price points for a game that could be only like 50 to 100 bucks at most maybe 200 on, on the higher end yeah. it's so strange in my at least for me i don't know I, I don't know what you guys think but yeah i mean i agree it's it's a little weird um it's naturally scarce though right like they only make as many as they kickstart so if 500 people back it at that level there's only 500 copies 480 of those people probably want to keep their copy you have a very limited market like even a game like coup 
which had thousands of backers, that game was going for a good, you know, two, three times its price on eBay for a while because people were like, wait, this is good. I want the, all the fancy stuff. And that's the problem with, you know, Kickstarter and games is you can never capture the quality or the game mechanics without actually playing it or at the very least getting high quality reviews and that's really difficult i know we'll be talking about quantum in a little bit later too but i remember seeing that on kickstarter and just kind of circling and circling and circling around it just because i'm not sure how this actually plays and i'm not sure if this is going to be decent and like oh, the art's kind of good but so you do kind of look at these things and go wow, it really doesn't seem to be worth that much. But at the same time, like you said, is it an exclusive? Is it limited edition? Plus, there's always a difficult with Kickstarter that while we are talking about the limited qualities, the quantities that are being released, there's also the opposite is true where the Kickstarter looks like it's going to be this limited quality, quantity, once in a lifetime purchase, and then it's released before you get a copy that you backed, and it's cheaper online at the very least if not in the store and everything that you are backing as far as the stretch goals were concerned are included in the retail version so you've now just handed over x amount of dollars for x amount of months for something that you have to wait for that people who didn't back it got it before you did and you feel like the biggest fool in the world for doing that so it's it's a hard hard sell welcome to kickstarter thank you for your money (laughs) yes Kickstarter is hardcore now, though. It's yeah, and just the fundamental fact that you're just taking somebody's word for it. No, like totally, guys. Me and my friends, we have this game, <laughs> and it's gonna be awesome, and it's totally gonna be worth your eighty dollars. You just need to make sure it goes into my bank account in Nigeria. <laughs> That's exactly. the other side of it too, which is some games never get released, mm-hmm. yeah. or are such poor quality that you're sorry you ever backed them too. Mm-hmm. So it it ranges. You know, feeling of guilt for bringing it onto the world. <laughs> I helped give birth to this monstrosity. Oh, it's God. my baby, and it's a killer. That's yeah. true. This is the problem I end up having. It's like that's why I don't back some of these things, and they look amazing. But I'm just like, I really don't know, and it's really expensive. Here's a question for you, though. What about all the extras, all the stretch goals, and all these extra collector's edition bits that a lot of these Kickstarters focus on? Do you think that's even worth going in for the extra price, or is that more of like a dealer's choice type of thing, where it depends on the player? I think it depends on the game, man. Like, if it's a game, like, let's say it's a game like, I don't know, like Rivet Wars, mm-hmm. which just hit the stores, the amount of stuff you got if you backed at the higher level, like, it's extra scenarios, it's extra pieces, it's extra models, it's extra maps, like, it just makes more game. You know, like, you could buy the box that has a map and one army for each side, or you could buy the Kickstarter edition, which was, like, an extra 80 bucks or something, and have enough for, like, double the replayability. And, like, but now if I want those pieces, I either have to wait for them to come out as separate expansions or go on eBay and spend a billion dollars. It's not... I mean, for me, the question's always going to be, does this let me do more things, or does it just let me look prettier while I do the same game, right? That's much, the second's much less interesting to me, right? Updated graphics or nicer minis compared to, right, entirely new scenarios, entirely new pieces. That's going to be something that I think adds value. And then you get the ones where it's like, it's signed. It's just, all right. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> you, you wrote on my game. Yeah. That's vandalism. Yeah. That's, not, yeah. that's not collectoring. That's not cool, dude. <laughs> and I, I think that's what the difficulty of being a gamer is is that 
there's a lot of different elements to us. There is the completionist, there's the collector, there's I want to get as much play out of my game. I don't care if it, you know, if it ends up being a bunch of scraps, you know. So it's really hard to gauge, as Daniel was saying, as far as, you know, what does this really add to the game? Now, sometimes graphical updates and minis do add something to the experience of the game. Sometimes it's just superfluous. I don't know why I have the mini doing this because it's not really getting used and it doesn't really add anything else to the game. So, yeah, you could have all those additional armies, but what's the use if you're only going to pull this game out once or twice a year and never really get to use them? So, you know, as far as the cost of the game, you have to ask yourselves, how many times am I actually going to play this? Am I going to buy this game to put it on a shelf or maybe break it out once or twice? Then it's going to cost me 100, 150 bucks just for those one or two plays. Or am I going to play the heck out of this game and therefore, yeah, it maybe cost $200, but I got, you know, 200 plays out of it out of its lifetime. So it's one of those situations where you really have to kind of gauge where you're at before you can kind of make that decision. This also depends on what you value most in terms of the gaming as well. I know a lot of people, myself included, used to I used to collect video games, for example. Sure. I still haven't even played half the ones I got some of them unopened. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it becomes like not only like the fanatical, like you say, the fanatical completionist, yeah. but it's more of a... These look great on the shelf. I don't want to touch them, sure. you know, versus oh, I can like play these every once in a while, but this game's kind of important to have in the collection to be untouched, you know. That becomes part of that dynamic as well. And a lot of people actually would probably like this game's not complete unless if I have all the promos, all the Kickstarter stuff, all the extra gold pieces, all the foil cards or whatever have you. To them, that's more important than even playing the game. Yeah, I think for all of us growing up in that comic book video game board game kind of world where things were kind of rare and now these days it's not as rare i mean you can get that story that ran in that comic book arc that you didn't collect online or you could play that board game by renting it or that video game by renting it or going to a local store or going to a convention so things aren't as rare as they used to be like when we were growing up or even our parents where like you grew up oh that superman comic you can't find it again because it was this rare and now they produce hundreds of, and there's digital versions right so if you love that video game just give it six months it'll probably be a digital version of it available too and or it'll be released simultaneously and it'll cost less too. yes yeah which is always the rub yeah i think for kickstarter a lot of the backing comes from the desire for the minis and maybe the additional promos that maybe you'll never see or not. I'm not really sure, but that tends to be... I mean, we talked about um, Zombicide, I think, a while back. And that just broke ridiculous record just because of the mass amount of minis you could get. So it's hard. I think it's really hard for us making those decisions. You know, where do you jump in and when, when do you just kind of kick the habit and just back away completely because you're you're gonna do some some serious damage yourself if you're if you're watching these things. I just need another twenty bucks for those meeples, damn it. Come on. You could give it to me. Come on. Well you know what it is? <laughs> I mean it's true because it's like once you get into the habit, it's like, you know what? Twenty bucks for the base game, but you know what? Just five more bucks and you can get the second, you know, race of orcs. You know, you know you want that for five more bucks, man? And the best part is they're <laughs> painted yellow. Do <Did> we <laughs> We hit six more stretch goals. You know you want to back this the, the collector's model, right? Yeah, it's another 20 bucks, and we throw in little plastic chits. 
And, and you can tell the people who are good at this sort of thing by how much space they put between the two levels of backing, right? It should sure. never be more than 5 or $10, because <laughs> no one... That's a big barrier, but if it's always just only five more dollars, only five more dollars, you're like, oh, I can, <laughs> I can put in five more dollars. Even if they're asking you this like 20 times in a row, and by the end of the day, you've just spent $400 on their games. Like, but it was only five more than the one right below it, and I got twice as many. You know, <laughs> exactly, little, yeah. So it's official, Kickstarter... Drug dealers. <laughs> They're pretty much. They I, was like, I was actually thinking of. Do you want to supersize that? Like that was <laughs> yeah. that's what I was thinking of. Like, also is there really dealers, a, yeah. is <laughs> there really a difference there in the end? Not <laughs> there is no difference whatsoever. And at the same time, you have to be like a lawyer when you're reading the Kickstarter because it's like, okay, this is going to be released on this date. Or six to nine months later, or you know, five years from now, or maybe with this quality plastic, but not the quality plastic we showed you online, because that's a different quality plastic that was only available for that level. And the retail levels might be available, but if you're a store, you can order ten more copies of this. If you know that the secret code that will get you in, that you went online, you backed it, and you answered the secret question <laughs> that got you in there, you're like, oh, I'm exhausted. Uh, <laughs> Just take my money and leave me alone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And speaking of which, I think uh, my my latest trek into that was uh, Takedo with the uh, collector's edition because originally when they talked about this, it was going to be the digital video game app Takedo, which I was really looking forward to. And I really love Takedo. I think it's a great kind of entry-level worker placement kind of set collection game. And, you know, it was, it was kind of hard to find for a very short time. And they released the collector's edition which had this kind of, you could kind of get this base pack, which would kind of upgrade your components. And that's great because clearly you don't want to use these little cubes that come with the game because it's really awkward. There was some awkwardness about the game with the components. So for $45, you could get these upgraded components like metal coins and, and little figures, and that's great. But hey, what? You know what? What about the collector's edition for only $73? Because you got the expansion, which... Sounds good if you haven't picked up the expansion. So for $73, I get the expansion too. And I get some upgraded components more than the base set. That sounds even better. But wait, hold on. I'm not done yet. Because <laughs> just for $115, you could get the base, all the upgraded components, the expansion. And by the way, we added a new expansion. Didn't know that was coming. Plus all the figures and the figures painted. So, yeah... I went around and around in a circle about this because I do love the game. I do love Japanese culture and all this type of integration. And it hit its $600,000 stretch goal for the upgrade painting. And knowing that as good a friend as we are with Anthony, he's not going to paint, was it 64 <laughs> miniatures? I think that was coming in the game in the end. I mean, sure, but it'll take like three years. <laughs> <laughs> Which will probably be about the same length that the Kickstarter will eventually yeah. get back to me. So... Yeah, one thing I've learned from starting to play board games more and more is um, uh, my usual strategy is I, I could buy the base, I play the base, and then I decide if I want to buy expansions. That is not what you were supposed to do. <laughs> you wait for that one day when the store puts all six of them in a pile and says, 20% off if you buy them all together, or you go to the Kickstarter and pay at the top level and get all eight of them for what would be half as much you know, if you bought them individually. But you just have to buy in bulk. <laughs> that's that's the strategy. Always in bulk, and always keep in mind when it's coming out too. Like I, I mentioned, Forge, uh, Forge and Fire earlier with Mage Wars. That was supposed to be out in January. They've been like 
pushing it back, pushing it back. They keep adding more stuff to it, so it's actually somewhat frustrating, but at the same time, hey, it's good. It might be quality instead of, like, a terrible expansion. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always different reasons for the delays. You know, if it's quality, fine. If it's printing delays, you're like, come on, whiz kids. <laughs> you're already printing money, whiz kids. You can now print this. Yeah, buy your own factory. I can't remember which game it was, but I remember their, their shipping delay was that they had realized the entire game was broken. Like, they were like a month away from release, and it was just like, oh, yeah, we brought it to a, like, a, a beta test tournament, and one guy just found this loophole and won with two cards, and we have to start over now. So, sorry. I'm, like, that's bad game design right that's there. Really bad, yeah. yeah. We play tested it for at least a month, guys. <laughs> we found this one combo. Instead of throwing out that combo, we have to design everything around it. My mom said she loved it. Like my cousin, who's a real whiz with, <laughs> with board games. And that's the problem with the Kickstarter, because the market is being flooded with bad games, just like how original, the original Nintendo was flooded with all these third-party games that were so bad that it was kind of ruining the market. And so it's it's a it's a problem for our you know for the gaming industry because somebody gets involved in playing board games and then just kind of goes, this is not as great as I heard because they're kind of getting a lot of the just junk kind yeah. of all, all throughout the way. On the flip side, though, that that is showing that this sort this sort of uh, I won't say renaissance, but a resurgence would probably be a good word for board gaming in general because we're seeing a lot of these big games coming out we're seeing a lot of these kickstarters being successful and we're seeing a lot of the good games at the very least not only getting praise on kickstarter off of kickstarter what have you but being played elsewhere out there yeah i love the fact that especially these independent board game designers are actually able to get their products out that maybe in the past they would never see the light of day so congratulations to them i actually have more of a problem of these medium to big companies kind of just pushing out additional stuff just for the sake of it or using Kickstarter as like a, a pre-order like hey give us your money it's going to be the same price in the store six <laughs> months from now and... Queen Games <laughs> <laughs> or... a bad enough release can cause serious problems for the market overall I mean so E.T. almost killed yes the video game market in its, in its early stages I mean one thing that's nice though is, is the board game market I guess seems to be stable enough now right so we've seen some kind of larger flops right Sure. Games with either very expensive IPs attacked or that they came out and just no one even touched. Yeah. And the fact that the market is persisting through these flops, through failures, even failures of flagship companies on occasion, it's... And on the bright side, there's no E.T. the board game that will destroy the market either. Shh, Why did you, you say that? <laughs> well, we need a new hobby, guys. Knock, uh, knock, knock, knock on wood on that. Yeah. I mean, that, what, that's like a 30-year-old movie now? I don't think anyone remembers it. That's like under the 20. Next week we'll be no? podcasting oh, shut about up. Thai restaurants. <laughs> and the, and, yeah. Oh, that spicy curry, man. It was good, but it was a little sour at the end. <laughs> spicy curry the game. But the, re the delayed release time of my, my green curry was really just unacceptable. It, it took five minutes too long. Yeah. I, I kick-started five stars. They only gave me three stars of spicy. So <laughs> <laughs> They said the other two stars will be here in December. <laughs> All right, guys. Um... Yeah, so I mean, Kickstarter is great. Kickstarter is dangerous. Kickstarter makes you regret not backing things, but at the same time, then you're giving your money for six months. Eh. Going to PAX in two weeks, I'm going to try to find like some of these Kickstarter exclusives. I'm hoping the companies are there, like the ones I know I want. Hopefully, they sell it at a reasonable price. But you know, it happens. I'll never have that full version of Myth. I don't have eight hundred bucks. 
One day. One yeah. day. One, yeah, right, when I have tons of money to waste. Um, exactly. I bet Brian backs it. I know, <laughs> I know Brian backs it. So you know what? You'll get to play it at least. All right, so let's talk about some of the stuff we have played lately, uh, not just the stuff we're pining for. And so these are some of the games that are hitting our table lately. At the table this week. All right, first up, hitting the table, um, who has played Heroes Unite, the new DC deck building expansion? I have. All right. It was. <laughs> What'd you think, man? <laughs> it was a straightforward expansion of the mechanics we know and love. Um, some of the bigger things, the, the one that really grew my attention was the inclusion of, well, so there, there are new heroes. Uh, Chris is kindly providing me with a list. Uh, there's uh, uh, Captain Marvel, right? there's Batgirl, uh, Hawkman, Nightwing, Black Canary, Red Tornado. Um, the... But beyond the, the the major hero cards, the ones that actually really got me were the the power rings. So they followed the, the sort of brightest day, darkest night, where you got to meet every color of the Lantern Corps, uh, and they brought almost all of the rings in. I don't think there's a Black Lantern ring, but there is the Black Lantern Corps card. Um, yes, and they have this synergy where they work together. And one of the I think an unfortunate choice is one of the unfortunate choices they made is to make it so the white power ring. Uh, if you have three power rings in your uh, power lantern, lantern, ah, uh, the white lantern, yeah. the, the white lantern, the white power lantern. If you have the white power lantern, sorry, just the white lantern. <laughs> it is not a racist lantern. Um, <laughs> Uh, if you have three of the power rings in your hand, uh, anything that says the word power ring on the card, essentially, you win. It's over. Right? You don't even go to the usual close conditions. The vict- uh, villains don't have to be dead. It's not a... Uh, you don't go to points or any of that. It's just you had these three cards in your hand along with the, the White Lantern and game's over. And I'm not fond of that. If you have the White Lantern card and you play it, you collect all the rings. Okay. Kyle Rayner, who is the White oh, okay, Lantern, sorry. he's the one who wins the game if you have three power rings. Okay. It's been about three weeks since I've played this, so my memory's bad on it. But yeah, so anyway, that mechanic upsets me. Yes. Um, I don't think that it's it's in the spirit of the game to have a sudden end victory condition. It's a game about, it's a deck builder, right? And then now to have suddenly, oh, forget building decks, I win. Um, <laughs> Remember all those points you were collecting? Yeah, yeah we're not going to do that anymore. You don't care. Remember how you killed all of the villains, <laughs> and your deck is three times as big as mine, and you're definitely going to win by points. None of that matters anymore. Um, they activated their trap card. There you go. Yeah. Your move, Kyle. The only thing is, I, I, I mean, for me personally, I really love the Green Lantern universe and the Darkest mm-hmm. Night arc. And was thrilled to see all the rings and all the different characters from there. And I think it adds so much to the game. For me personally, I'd rather have the expansion than the base game. Just because I'm a bigger Green Lantern fan than the original kind of crew. But as you said, it's the same exact game with that little exception there as far as like the instant win kind of combo. Which kind of almost comes out of nowhere. But on the other side, they do have a number of combos. I think like the Mad Hatter has like, if you have him in the hat, it does a couple of things. So... There are they're thinking they're starting to think a little bit more about how to kind of be more thematic, which I think was the original criticism of the game, mm-hmm. which is like, hey, I have Batman and I have Heat Vision, 
that seems weird. <laughs> I mean, I'm certain certain universe. I'm sure there's a comic where Batman had he vision. I don't know. You could let us know about that. It's Earth Six. It's Earth Six. Damn it! How did I forget Earth Six? Because there's only six hundred Earths or something <laughs> like right. that. I don't even read comics, and I know this. It is a multiverse of different Earths, but they were eventually brought back together, yeah. at least for time being. So one of the things that interests me about the game, though, so it can play both standalone and and you can put it together with the the yes. other deck. I think that there might be some instabilities if you put the two together Definitely. I'm not sure how closely they play tested the combined sets for one thing it adds another card with the word power ring in it yes which might set off that the trap card a little bit earlier also weirdly the green lantern right he's in the first game <laughs> but not in the second but game. not in the second game but all of the lantern rings right all of the other lanterns are fighting red tornado for some reason right like, <laughs> because apparently they're so they're working right. on theme but still it's <laughs> kind of missing it a little bit. I think part of it too is the original game had like the Suicide Squad, and if you collected mm. multiple cards of Suicide Squad, you gain extra points. Mm. This one, I think it's the Manhunters, which is part of the Green Lantern universe. You collected okay. multiples of those. So if you did shuffle everything together, you kind of be, have to be careful that you're not diluting the combos or making one combo way too powerful because it could throw the game off. But you could definitely, if you took a little time, you can kind of pick and choose the villains and the heroes and the special abilities. That, that, that does seem like it's a little too much work for something that should be very simple. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like It feels like if we're really going to like take our time to make sure this is all balanced, shouldn't it come in the box a little balanced to begin with? And that's what's great about the DC deck building game. And we should also talk about that they're going to use the same mechanic. Or actually, they've used the same mechanic previously. The Penny Arcade deck building game was the same same mechanic where you have this one currency that is used for both defeating a villain and to buying or purchasing a power or a hero they're going to be using this also with naruto and street fighter so they're really kind of like throwing every ip <laughs> they can at the game um which should be decent because as you were saying rob like it should be an easy setup and unlike legendary which is a good game this game you can actually play and break down and be happy <laughs> before the store closes. <laughs> so I, I think some real life is getting into that one, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think your point, Rob, is good. Like, you don't want you get an expansion, you don't want to be a pain in the butt to like combine everything. But I feel like that's a problem with almost any deck builder. Yeah, like, that's true. Most expansions well, are either separate or highly suggestive to be separate. Like mini expansions, like add these thirty cards. Like Ascension was like this. You could get mini expansions, add a few cards. But most of the time, it was just basically the new game with new rules, with new cards, when you got an expansion. Well, it's funny you say that, because um, another game that we're going to be talking about in a few minutes, Sentinels of the Multiverse, had their Vengeance expansion. And, uh, well, I mean, it did add new cards, new villains, but it also put a new theme on it where it was versus five villains instead of one. So you fight a team of supervillains. Uh, with a team of heroes, and you can use the heroes from the previous sure. set still. So you could still mix them and match, but there's a lot less to worry about because the villains are already preset. And so are the heroes. Yeah, and the heroes are already preset too. So in a way, that the, de <clears throat> the deck building that's done in Sentinels of the Multiverse kind of trumps what DC and Marvel have been doing with Legendary and uh, Heroes of DC. Well, I mean, so Legendary would be able to do the same thing. What I mean, the key issue there is that you've got these little modules that you combine... 
as opposed to just taking the whole decks and shuffling them get together, right? So when Legendary has its expansions, right, it's just giving you new modules you can tack in, right? New heroes you can throw in. I mean, it does take an hour and a half to set up and an hour and a half to clean up, um, which is why it sits on my shelf, me going, I really love that game, but I am never going to move it again because it takes forever. It'll look pretty up here. Yeah. Right next to uh, Summoner Wars or something. Like I, I saw the expansion, I was like, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, at least I got a space right next to it for the expansion, so now I have like. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, all these games, I mean, they kind of all scratch a different itch, which is a good thing. Like, if you have, if you're at the game store and you want to play something longer, Legendary's great. Mm-hmm. If you have an hour, you don't want to play Legendary, you've got DC. So it's good to have the options. And then if you want something co-op, you've got Sentinels. Yes. Um, I have not played DC Deck Builder yet. Um, I've been meaning to. There's no reason why not. I love the DC Universe. It just hasn't been out when I've been there. But, uh, you know, the, the expansion sounds cool. The, the whole thematic issue with the first game kind of always rubbed me the wrong way. Like, it wouldn't kill it. I'd still love the cards. I'd still love to play the game, but... You know, Batman's yeah. utility belt on Wonder Woman is a little silly. When I I had the same concerns too. I I was really hating on this game before I even got a chance to play it because I was like, I like this universe. Why do I have a deck of cards that has, you know, like you said, Batman's utility belt, um, Wonder Woman's lasso, Superman's heat vision, you know, and Green Lantern's ring? Like, okay, I guess there's a situation where that can come into play, but it does seem very odd. But the gameplay itself is just so light it's so easy it's so fun and what i guess what the theme really where it really comes into play is the cards themselves so if you have, if you have like one of the like the flash cards or something related to flash whether it's him or one of his sidekicks it lets you draw another card so it's like he's so fast that he keeps just keeps playing additional cards or i think we talked about like the black lantern like as far as his little universe of cards and his villain card um, you can destroy three cards from your hand and pick up three more cards. So it does fit that way. Whereas Legendary, what bothers me a little bit is it only once in a while hits on that. So Wolverine can discard wounds, or Hulk, when he attacks, he wounds everybody. But beyond that, there really isn't a lot of flavor to the actual cards. It's usually like, this card does plus three attack, this card does plus five attack. Like, all right, I see that, but I don't see why that kind of fits with the hero themselves. Yeah, it's interesting, because despite having a more complex set of mechanics, they end up feeling more limited and legendary than they do in, in the DC deck builder, right? Where they've got the one number, sure, but because they let the cards do all these weird things, and things with drawing cards and discarding cards and attacking your opponent in different ways, you get a much more, a greater feeling of theme. I always thought of it as like crossovers or guest sure. appearances, right? The Flash is coming to help my Wonder Woman. Right? Yeah. Even with, you said even the problem with the Kyle Rayner card, which is which is an issue, yeah. it's still thematic, right? Because in the in the arc, spoilers, no one cares. <laughs> okay, um, I mean he eventually you know the White Lantern comes about because he you know collects all the powers and is able to overcome. So it is still thematic. Mm-hmm. Whereas the DC you know the DC deck builder does, like you said, the lightness of one on one hand and the heavy thematicness of the cards. The legendary is almost the opposite. Like the board, the master, the master scheme, the the way everything's kind of set up. It's it's so the the kind of universe that sets up for the game is tremendous and beautiful and well thought out, and on paper it's perfect. The cards and the gameplay just kind of like, hey, here's a couple of oh yeah my you know my heroes, 
they, you know, are able to buy something that doesn't seem really interesting at all, despite the universe that I want to actually participate in. So, plus and minuses on both, but I guess every, they have a flavor for everybody is what, what you're looking for. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, first official review, Daniel, what do you think? Heroes Unite. Heroes Unite. I, I liked it. I'm a big fan of the DC deck builder. I'm a big fan of the, I mean, of you can reskin these mechanics a number of ways, but I think by keeping it simple and keeping it light, you get to go heavy on flavor. Um, and it's one of the few games, every variant of the DC deck builder in this mechanic system. These these games, you can play and have a conversation while you're playing. Yeah. And it's like, you know the rules. They're relatively simple. They're very straightforward. And it's still a lot of fun. And there's no running back to a rule book to double check, triple check the rules. Cool. All right, so dodge, play, or buy? Ooh, uh, definitely play, and if you're a fan of this sort of simple deck build, or buy. All right. Chris, you played, right? Yes. Um, as Daniel was saying, and we just talked about, Naruto's coming out, Penny Arcade's already out, DC Deck Building's out, um, Street Fighter's out, so there's a lot of flavors, and I'm, I'm assuming since these are selling so well, there'll be another dozen more by next week. So for me, the DC Deck Builder Heroes Unite is a buy. I'm going to definitely pick this up. It's a lot of fun. Daniel always has the original set, which for me also is a buy. So, because we, we sit down. What do you want to play? Let's play this. It's fun. We get it out. Everyone kind of jumps in. It's it's not something that is going to kind of, you know, bring you down for three hours because that type of game doesn't really, you know, call for it. Can we take bets on the next skin they're going to make then? <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> uh, my choices are Lord of the Rings or Mass Effect. Okay. Ooh, Ooh I can see Mass Effect. Mass Effect would be great. Lord would of the Rings. Fun. I think Fantasy Flight's got that one locked up. I uh, would buy Mass Effect. Like, yeah. right now, I would buy Mass Effect. <laughs> yeah. Everyone would buy Mass that. Effect. Everyone must buy it. Hypnotism. <laughs> <laughs> no. I still haven't finished the trilogy. i got to do that. You, yes, you do. Yeah. Me too. So no spoilers. You didn't finish it either? Uh, I got a little bit into Mass Effect 3, and then life got in the way. I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, I you know what would be a great um, deck-building game for that mechanic would be uh, Bioshock. Because uh, you could yeah, get, yeah. depending on if you want the Infinite or you want the Original, you could get the Vigors, or you could get, you know, or you could have the Splicers, because they yeah, play yeah. differently. Or So you play your deck, and here's all these different powers that you can kind of throw out. That'd be so, a pretty good idea, yeah, too. That's good. That's really interesting. And then that side deck with the with the big villains would obviously, you would have the Big Daddy and you would have the different, you know, you know, depending on which universe you're playing in, they have the major kind of villain battles going on there. Yeah, i got to play this game. Uh, <laughs> Sentinels, however, is a game I have played, and we were just, you were just talking about it, Rob. Um, yeah. yeah, I uh, kind of let that cat out of the bag that I tried out the new Vengeance expansion. And I actually enjoyed it a lot. It was tough. And I mean that in a good way. The type of, you know, it's like an actual challenge without being murderously hard to the point where it's broken. Uh, what Vengeance does is you get five more hero decks. One of them is actually a team of heroes, and they kind of basically made them a mix of the Watchmen and D&D characters. So you got your healer that looks like Dr. Manhattan. You have uh, a shadow dude that's basically your assassin. You got... A tank and a magic user there, and the magic user is like 13, which is funny. Eh, yes, because little girls are scary, right? As uh, psychic powers? Yes. Typically, that's what you always, yeah. you know, if you ever see a little girl in a movie, especially a horror movie or a sci fi movie, run. Run, run away. <laughs> run. All the work and no play. It's not the creepy alien. They're usually going to be your friend. It's the little girl that should not be there. That's going to kill you. And continuing with that cliche, we now have a team of supervillains to deal with, and it's, uh, 
And they all have their own archetypes. You got a big bruiser, you got a guy that does a lot of defense, a guy that does a lot of attacking, a guy that poisons, another one that steals equipment. And the goal is to kill all five of them. And you, a full team of five versus a full team of five makes it really interesting. Yeah. Um, it does change the way the board goes. Instead of uh, picking and choosing who goes, which I know is like a home variant for a lot of people, you now need to go in order, starting with the leader of the supervillain team, which is Baron Blade. He's returned. And then you just go down the list, one, 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 until everyone goes. First team to survive wins. Uh, they don't they don't like put the HP on the villains too high. It's only in like the 30s or high 20s. So it's doable to take them out. And once they take them out, they don't have their own special bonuses they do each round too. So you actually do need to do a little strategy and uh, cooperation to uh, te- keep these guys down. And the reason why that's great, because thematically it feels like a comic book fight. I'm not the biggest comic book reader, but I've watched a lot of X-Men on TV. So it's, you know, I'm pretty sure that's kind of what they tried to do in the comic books, too. Yeah. You know, you have these massive battles. You see, like, people shooting laser beams out of their eyes and whatever. And just hitting people with tentacles and punching them in the face and growing them in size and all this crazy stuff. That's literally my favorite description of a comic book fight ever. <laughs> tentacles in the face? No? Okay. Just like random things you've seen in movies. Random things you've seen in comic books. I just rambled on. That's Avengers but... 2, the main fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's going to be a fun one. But, uh, the, uh, but that's what really was what got me for it. And the new heroes are pretty thematic, too. They're pretty cool. Like, I basically played their version of Beast Boy when I first tried it out. And, you know, he had different things you can morph into. Armor, attack, and healing. Uh, They had kind of like a electric-type character who used a bow. A hawk girl-type character. No, not hawk girl. Hawkeye-type character with a bow. Uh, And then they had a dude that, for some reason, was unlucky. (laughs) <laughs> but every time he puts unlucky things... I know, it's weird. But every time he puts unlucky things in his pool, he gives all the teammates good luck. So it's a lot of... Uh, it's a very strange mechanic. But again, one of the strengths of Sentinels is the fact that they're, it's all self-contained. So you don't have to worry about mixing cards. You don't have to worry about synergy with other decks. You could still work with the other decks with all these mechanics and work with yourself and be effective. That's pretty cool. So... I mean, we've all played Sentinels and Multiverse, just the base game. I know, Chris, you have it, right? Mm-hmm. You got a good deal on it. I do. Um, that's a fun game. It's a good co-op game. It's probably, like, for me, it's the most thematic superhero game I've played. Um, the other ones are good, but they're, like, more thematic to the IP. This one's really thematic to the theme itself. So, it's... I haven't played the new one, though. That sounds cool. Vengeance. Uh, it's, um... It's really good. I, I actually would... Re- if you're a big fan of Sentinels, I would recommend to buy. Uh, it... You first off, you're getting five more heroes, and you're getting a team of supervillains you can now fight. So right there off the bat, there's enough content to keep you busy for hours to find out different strategies on how to defeat them. First time we played, we lost three, three out. It was a five on five. We lost three out of five, Ooh. fighting them. But it was a tough battle. We were able to win the day, but we kept, you know, it, and that's part of the fun too, where you just lose people along the way. It's kind of like a, almost a war of attrition. And that's what you want from a co-op. Yes, you, you yeah. want a co-op to be. Hard enough that you just barely win, if you win at all. Because you should lose co-ops. You should lose co-ops, I think, the vast majority of the time. Because if you're beating it every time, what's the point of playing? Um, the one downside with Sentinels that can be is it varies greatly as far as difficulty. So they've done a good job by placing um, 
ratings by the heroes and the villains so you know like what's the complexity or what's the difficulty but sometimes you're just getting beaten up really badly and sometimes you're just, it's a walk in the park but it's good to see that vengeance kind of like gives you a good quality experience it does it does um i will say this uh in turn like I know you you guys have talked about components on Sentinels being not the most... It's bad. Well, I was going to say not the highest of quality, but bad works too. Bad works too. <laughs> it's bad but, effective, uh, yeah. uh, In this one, I it's the same quality. Sure. Uh, I personally don't have a problem with it normally because what I'm going to do is I'm going to sleeve them all anyway. And they're, sure. And I love like the thematics on the art and whatnot that they do. That's always cool, but... Yeah, they, the cards do bend a little too easily. Yeah, the first time I opened the, the base game and we played, and you do handle the cards. I don't know if, if it's fair to say you hand them a lot, but you do handle them. And when I put them back in the box, because the box does hold so many cards, I noticed someone had a deck, was using one of the decks, and the cards were like, you know, warping. They, you know, just by handling them. They, were, they weren't fitting, like, straight as, as far as the other cards. I wouldn't expect that for the first play. So, I've seen this done before. If you're going to get this game, sleeve it. I know it's expensive because it has a lot of cards to it, but if you're going to play this for any amount of time beyond just maybe one or two plays, you got to sleeve this game because the card quality is going to diminish rapidly. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, easily. And the game is all cards. The entire game is yeah. so. Cool. I want to try it out. I like the first one. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. All right, so one other game we wanted to talk about before we got to the big review of Quantum, and this is not going to be a full review at all because all four of us played this and we know how long it is, uh, is Civilization the board game. Um, so this was sitting on the used shelf at Myriad forever, and they had like a buy one, get one free event at some point. So Chris and I went in on this and Rex, right? You picked yes. up Rex? Mm-hmm. So ended up getting it like the used price and then half off that, so it was a good deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was a game I always wanted to try out, but I knew how big it was, so it was like didn't want to go full in on it. But you know, broke it out, finally learned the rules, kind of um, <laughs> as much as you can by yourself. <laughs> and then we set aside a time, and uh, we played on a Sunday, I think, the four of us. And it, it was a long game, a little bit, <laughs> yeah, J- just a tad. I did warn everybody it'd be a long game, so at least it wasn't like yeah, a couple hours, and it took four. Um, this is it is Civilization the board game like that's as descriptive as you're going to get if you've played the video game you know roughly what you're getting into um, you pick a civilization usually one his, you know historic civilization um, you'll have your you know thematic leader of that civilization and they're all over time wise like the US is Lincoln Russia was Catherine the Great China was Mao because, Chairman, Chairman Mao yeah so it is, they pick somebody iconic that you'll probably recognize. But then, you know, you have Egypt with Cleopatra, so it's all over the place. But that's kind of the fun of it. Um, you're going to set up... Everybody has their own, like, starting tile, and it plays up to four people. So it's just the four of us. We play the full map. Um, and there are so many mechanics here. I'm not even going to run through them. It's just... Basically, there's four ways to win the game. Uh, you can win through technology, uh, culture, ec- economics, or military. One of these is not really an option. <laughs> which, which of these are not you, like the others? You yes. theoretically can win through culture. You're never going to win through culture. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, you did you win that, or did we just end it? Uh, we got one turn away from my victory condition, I think. Okay, I, and I you was, were going to win on economics, right? On, yeah, coins. I was, yeah. 
And I was that close on technology. I was like tier four on technology. You were right behind me. Yeah. Meanwhile, we realized I was going for culture, and that was a waste of time. You were like a third of the way up the track. Like, I how know. is it even possible to get remotely I have close to the No end of that idea. Track? Yeah. And but military. In a four-player game, military would be tough. We didn't even try, really, with military. Yeah. I, don't know, I remember, in fact, we only did, like, two fights, and we weren't even sure how they worked correctly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the game is awesome. It's super thematic. Um, there's a lot going on. It takes a while to learn. Like, even though I read the rules and watched the videos, it still took a while. Like, we worked through the rules a bit. Um, everything really works really well, except maybe the fights, which felt kind of wonky. Like, the whole... The way the card system works, and the fronts, and the random values on those cards, and then the modifiers, and calculating the modifier—you need a calculator or an abacus or something. We're going to do square roots to find out the fraction of pi. It's ridiculous. I mean, we don't need math in this. We just need here's the high number, here's the low number. Who wins? Yeah. Usually the high number. Yeah. I was disappointed with the exploration part of it because it is a civilization building game, and you are exploring. You know the territories around you and you have this little flag and you have this little wagon and the flag is your kind of military and the wagon is your you know scout and it's very it's very limiting very small in comparison to the rest of the game which yeah. is beautiful the components are nice the different ways to win there's a lot of different quality and yet the actual movement in the game is like I'm moving two spots to another blank spot wasn't that exciting and you know, the spots on the board, like the little tribes or the cities, they're fairly infrequently placed on the board. So maybe you were hitting maybe two or three tribes, maybe you were hitting one or two cities, but that's it. So the, you know, you almost like, you can almost turtle the entire game unless you went pure military and just sit back and just see what you how you can rush towards the victory. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of technologies that speed you up. Sure. Like, by the end, I could move four spaces, and I had an extra movement per turn. But that was, like, tier three technology. And by then, the board was all uncovered. So, And there's not much to see on the board. I, I wish there was a lot. I mean, there's, there's, there's spots where there's resources, and there's spots where you can pick up different things. And depending on where you built the cities, I somewhat benefited you. But it really didn't kind of give me a flavor for anything, you know? Like... During the game, you could build the wonders, right? It would have been a lot more thematic if there were spots on the boards where you pick a random card because you explored this fog of war, and maybe there was a wonder behind it, or maybe there was a hostile tribe that took out your troops. There was just more to the actual exploration instead of just sitting at home and kind of like building up whatever it is you were doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the exploration was underwhelming, the combat was, I thought, poorly handled. Uh, didn't get a lot of sense of flavor from the game overall, and one of the four victory conditions, at least, is effectively impossible. It was a fun time, because I, primarily because I was playing with you guys. Yeah. Uh, it will never make it onto my shelf. It will never make it near my shelf. It is, <laughs> yeah. This it, one, yeah. It's really disappointing, because the Civilization video game is probably one of the best massive strategy games ever created for PC, for consoles now. They probably surely have an iPad version. And, and it just felt weird. It just felt like, yes, the theme's there. You could see all the bits individually. They may work. But put together, it, it collapsed under its own weight. As I was playing, I was getting very frustrated and bored, realizing, all right, I'm not going to win. Might as well keep going culture, see how far I can get. <laughs> just out of curiosity. I mean, we played four hours. I was only up to tier two. And you were a turn away. Of, uh, Dan was a turn away of winning. There's nothing I can do about that. There's no way to stop the uh, the onslaught of economics. 
Yeah, and it's a tough one because like I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I think part of me wants to enjoy it more than I do, though. And I know that some of the issues we're pointing out have been resolved with expansions, but I never like when I have to buy a $60 game and two $40 expansions to cover issues with the base game. You know what I mean? Like, the newest expansion apparently makes culture victories very feasible. It's like it pa- they patched their own game. Here's 40 bucks for it. Exactly, right? And that, it's, That's a little much. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, if I thought I was going to play it a lot more, I'd pick these up, because I do enjoy the game probably a little bit more than you guys. But... Not enough that I want to drop another 80 bucks on it. Yeah, I mean, for, what, $140 all told, $60 for the base, and 240 expansions, and four hours of playtime, and that mu- that complex of a rule system, right? For, for that much trouble, I can have a lot more fun doing other things. Yeah. I would have to say it's probably a major dodge, uh, especially if you're actually fond of the computer game. I don't even think even having love for civilization will save it in this case. Yeah, I haven't played... The, for some reason, this kind of escaped me. I was probably playing more RTSs than anything else. So I never played it on, you know, as a video game. I do like the complexity of the civilization building. I like the technologies you can kind of build up. I was kind of moving that way in the game. I like the fact the culture, and especially the um, the different uh, great... I guess it would be great men, and just men because I think there was only men in the game. Yeah, for I think some it reason. says great people, but they're all men. It's so. sad because it was probably more great women. But nonetheless, um, I like adding that to the civilization to say this civilization has this philosopher, this astronomer, and, and has this culture to them. Um, it's I don't know. It's almost one of those situations where it the building of that thing is almost quality enough to seek out the expansions, but maybe at this price point it's probably not going to happen. So if there was a way to correct it with the expansion, there would be a play, but as far as purchasing the game, it's probably a dodge just because it needs to do more in order to be great. It, it, you know, the, desi- the designers of this game owed the game more, and maybe they corrected it with the expansions, but maybe, I don't know, maybe a Kickstarter in the future where the, actually everything's kind of thrown into one box because the game deserves more. The video game, you know, offers more too. Yes. Yeah, I definitely like it more than you guys. <laughs> Which sucks, because who's going to play it now? <laughs> well, you could bust it out every once in a while. I'd, yeah. I would not play it. I'm just not going to buy it, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, well, I could see that. I mean, it's... If I had paid full... Well, no, I don't. I wouldn't regret paying for it. Um, if I'd played it before I bought it, I probably wouldn't have bought it. But that's... I still say it's a play for me, and it's borderline buy. And I might still pick up that expansion that fixes the culture track issues. <laughs> um, you know, you look at the ratings here on Board Game Geek, and I haven't played it, obviously, but, like, that expansion has an 8.5. It must fix a lot of shit. <laughs> What's the rating for the original Civilization game? 765. Uh, really? <laughs> that's, that, that's a uh, big uh, gap. 765 is a strong rating, though. Mm. Um, but, I mean, it's... It's one of those games, like, A, uh, we played a couple things wrong. That's true, too. We, like, you are supposed to fight those tribes that you unlock, and we were just flipping mm-hmm. the tiles and taking them. Yeah. Um, that would have made it a little harder to get those, and you would have lost more troops, which I think is important. Uh, B, none of us realized the culture track was cruddy, and we wouldn't have spent <laughs> so much time on it. So I'm not saying it would make the game infinitely better, but it would definitely help if we knew, like, what you're supposed to go for in advance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really like the theme of it. It really did feel like the computer game to me. Yeah, it's a strong game. I think I think it's a strong game. I think it's just uh, the length makes it prohibitive, and 
there are some parts that are a little wonky, which in a game that long, you don't want anything to be wonky. You want it all to be really tight. Yeah. Well, if you're willing to pick up the expansion, we'll jump back in to see if that fixes it. Yeah. I might. I might. Give it a shot. Just have to do it soon enough that we don't forget the rules again. <laughs> <laughs> we never really knew the rules. <laughs> yeah, let, 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 let's be clear about that. We can make up our own rules and it'll probably work. In the game of yeah. civilization, there is no rules. Exactly. Here, I'll yeah. bid four spades on this. <laughs> I will tell you this. like, If you want to play this game, find somebody who knows the rules well. Because I tried to learn them, and it was hard. And I'm good at learning rules, and it was hard. There's it's and there's, there's so many things. And there's multiple versions of this game, right? And not just the uh, Fancy Flight? Yeah, Eagle did a version in 2002, which is 800 miniatures in a coffin box. Uh, so if you think this one's a little wonky... <laughs> the, the listeners at home can't see the jaw drop that I have. <laughs> 800 miniatures? They have it in the store. They have a used copy in Are the store. Are you serious? Yeah, you should check it out. I would... <laughs> How much is that going for? It's 100 bucks used. I don't. God knows what it costs. Oh my goodness. Um, although, there's a used copy on Amazon, according to Board Game Geek, for 50 bucks. My goodness, 800 miniatures. What the heck do they have in that box? I don't know. I mean, like, every card, basically, that we had in was Fantasy Flight miniature. was probably a miniature. Oh, yeah. goodness. So. For once, the cardboard of Fantasy Flight is useful. <laughs> Pretty much. You yeah. mocked it, and now it comes back to haunt you. No! <laughs> yeah, it's $130 on Amazon. Wow. That's a big game. So... Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll give it a shot again, maybe give it a more formal review. Um, I think everybody's opinion's fair. I mean, I don't f- disagree with any of it. I felt, I didn't feel bad at the end, because I did warn everybody, but <laughs> no. <laughs> it was a long, long game. No, so. no reason to feel bad. It's no, cool. I never feel bad. And now for the feature review. So uh, the, the feature review this week is going to be Quantum, which is a uh, game made by Funforge. It was a Kickstarter game, and uh, our store Myriad Games uh, finally was able to get in a couple after basically waiting three months for pre-orders and whatnot. Uh, the way Quantum works is really simple. Your goal is to colonize a bunch of planets on a randomly created map, and uh, the game actually provides you with some three-player maps, two-player maps, four-player maps that you can make yourselves. Uh, And you uh, colonize them by putting cubes down on the uh, planets. Each of the planets has a set number of cubes you can put down, and you can never put cubes down on the same planet twice. Uh, Once you put down all your cubes, you win. Of course, that's a lot easier said than done, because uh, the way to do this is to fight the other players for dominance of the galaxy that you're in. You, you you do this by using D6 dice. Very simple, regular face-out, like almost Vegas dice, really. Um, they act as your ships on the board. Uh, you can move them at their face value from when they're facing up. So if you have a 1, it only moves one space on the board. If you have a 6, it can move 6. And they all get their own special powers, which you're allowed to activate once on your turn. Uh, the 1s, for example, are big battle stations. They can shoot somebody that is adjacent to them. Whereas the 6 you get a free reconfigure, which is a free re-roll of the dice. Because one of the mechanics in this game is that you need to use three actions on your action turn strategically to take over planets. This includes reconfiguring your ships on the board where you pick a die and re-roll it, and it becomes that new ship. 
Uh, this includes deploying ships that were destroyed in a fight, and you deploy them where your planets are, the planets you control. Uh, moving and attacking are go hand in hand. You have to, to attack, you need to move a ship. The only exception is the one, because it's a battle station. It just sits there, because it looks pretty. And then you could also either research. There's research mechanic, which gives you bonus cards that do bonus uh, powers in the game. Or you could construct cubes, which takes two out of your three actions on a turn. So there is a lot of strategy in what you should do on a turn, what you shouldn't do. The game also favors aggression. If you attack the other player a lot, uh, you can gain dominance in the galaxy. Once you get from one to a six, once you get a six on your dominance die, you're allowed to place a cube anywhere on the board for free. And unlike other games, the lowest number actually wins. So the battle station will always be the most powerful ship you fight, and then you roll a second die and add them together. The last thing is uh, the cards that come with it, which is really just extra powers. You have an instant deck, which does things a one-time use, like a second turn where you can do two actions. You can increase your dominance quickly, or you can expand by adding another ship on the board. Uh, the other deck is a white deck that gives you permanent powers that do special things, such as a free reroll on attack, an extra move action for one of your ships. Uh, these All these different powers kind of, are kind of like Cosmic Encounter in a weird way, where they kind of break the game. But in a good way, where it's balanced enough, so because you're only allowed three of them at a time, and they all do enough different, they all do different things or similar things, which gives you synergy to formulate a strategy where you could win with that. Note I said could. There's so many different ways to actually win the game that there's actually a lot of balance in terms of the winning conditions. It's not easy getting five to seven cubes on the board. It could take at least an hour, a good hour, if you have very good players. And that's pretty much how the mechanics work for Quantum. Yeah, um, this has kind of been your game lately. So yeah, it has this been. This is why you're leading off here. Um, I've I played it a couple times, but I've seen you played it. I don't know, a dozen. Easy. I think <laughs> I, I think I've taught at least twenty people how to play this game in the store. This is the next tournament. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> it uh, could be. This would be a good tournament game. I think, I think it could be. It, it'll need some tweaking though, because uh, as I said, one of the it's not a downfall, but one of the issues with the game is the length. I mean, because the way the game works is that it has no set map. You can modulate the map to any form you want. And because of that, it could change the dynamics of how the game works. You could have like a very tiny map which favors a lot of aggression, a lot of fighting, or a very large map which favors exploration, where I might not even fight a certain player for a long period of time. I could just stay in my corner and try and achieve greatness there. So there's a lot of different styles of play, and I would I would argue that some maps are more equal than others after playtesting a couple of the four-player and three-player maps. But there, what really sets what really sets me off on this, what really I love about this, is the fact that it is modular. You, they, no game is the same. The maps may be the same, but how you play them is different, and that's always a plus in my book. Yeah, we were just talking about civilization previously. And it definitely has that 4X type of feel to it because in the game there are a lot of paths to victory and fortunately they're not as complex and our worthy of civilization. So you could explore, you can expand, you can exterminate. Um, you know, it has a lot of flavor to it as far as the different things that you can do that the mechanics allow. So you do get that kind of feeling in a really kind of basic type of way. I mean, you're just using dice. 
Um, and the boards are pretty simple too. So there really isn't a lot of like visual cues of this is being a vast space armada kind of exploring the galaxy and landing on these planets. But the mechanics themselves and the dice is very um, ingenious how they kind of use the different pips and to kind of play different roles. It's, it's really low key and I think that's kind of uh, one of the charms of the game too. You don't need minis to represent all the different types of ships. You especially with the mechanics of like reconfiguring ships. There's certain cards that let you do that for free. There's certain cards that let you choose what they are. That's actually a major mechanic in this game. So the dice are almost mandatory in a way and it makes sense. Yeah, I don't think you could replace the dice with anything. It's a must. Um and it kind of fits that um Alien Frontiers Kingsburg kind of situation where your here your spaceships but also like your spaceships or your um, your influence is based upon the die rolls. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think I had a lot of fun with this game. I think we had we got a little caught up on some component issues early on. I think we should cover that first because if you buy this game, you know, off the shelf today, you're going to have some issues. Oh yeah, uh, very sticky ones uh, from what I remember. <laughs> uh, it felt like the dice were literally just made out of like oil resin or something because they were like sticking to the plastic on the board. They were getting the cards all a little dirty. Uh, there was some misprints on the die, some cracks in the die. Uh, I mean, if you look at them, like they look like very ugly gummy bear candies that you just want to munch on. <laughs> yeah, the edges are all really soft. Like They're almost rounded. And the dice stuck together. I think, Rob, when you open this game, we kind of pulled the dies out, and they were just like, this is really weird, because you know, of any die that's used in any game in the on the planet... The one that's always most precisely crafted is a D6 because it's used a lot in gambling. And here are some basic D6s. I like the color, but they're D6s. And there's no reason why there should have been a problem with the you know the creation of these, the, the quality of the components, the painting the pips. I mean, we complain about whiz kids as far as like, hey, that paint job is bad or the eyes didn't look right on this. But... These are just basic pips, and I think one of your dies, the three is a four. And yeah, a four yeah, is a five. no, we have one. One of our green die is a, uh, a double four because they mispainted it. <laughs> so hey, oh, it's a double four. Hey, I get this extra movement, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, to their credit, that's they, the house rule. They did send you new dice. Oh yes, um, but he had to request those. Funforge, I true, but Funforge did like put out the uh, the all, all points bulletin. If you do have an issue with the dice, we understand. We apologize. We're gonna make it better for the next print run. You can request them. We'll send you the dice for free. It, should, it only took me like two days. So I sent them the email two days later. Bag of dice and a free promo tile, which is always a nice bonus. That's cool. I mean, it's a lot of times when people are replacing components, it'll be like four weeks, and they'll make you send in the old ones. Sure. So then you can't play your game for four weeks. And we were talking about this earlier. This was a Kickstarter game originally that I, that I had seen, and um, the dice components would be something you didn't you wouldn't be able to tell on a Kickstarter until you got that, you know, mailed to you like six months later and just be heartbroken that the quality of the components were terrible. Now, the other side, the artwork is amazing. At least it really has that kind of its own space opera universe. Now, usually when someone tries to do a, you know, space universe, it's usually either a ripoff of Star Wars or Star Trek or it's something so completely out there that it doesn't really gel with anything and it's hard because you know if you're doing a fantasy universe it's always the standard elf dwarf or dragon kind of thing so there's really no messing that up when it comes to what's truly alien what's truly different 
there's so much room, room to get this wrong. And they did a nice job showing, you know, I guess would be either futuristic or alien technology. Um, the box is beautiful. The cards that come into play, the black cards and the white cards, really have a nice flavor to it. And that was one of the things when I looked at the Kickstarter, I was like, I think I might want to back this just based upon the art alone because it was so nice. It has a nice touch, even on like the big uh, cardboard placemats you get. Each of the ships, they, you know, like the ships represent the dice on the board, but the ships on the card are always different, even though they're the same mechanics for each of the ships. I mean, every color has its own alliance or confederacy or whatever it has. It is a little, like, meaningless. It'll, you know, that does not matter. It just matters, like, the color you're playing as on the board from a mechanic point of view. The themes usually come from the white cards you get, where you get these different powers that kind of give you more flavor. But there is a lot of great art on there. There's a lot of great art on the cards, especially. Especially uh, some of my favorites, for example, are like these white cards where you just look like you're insane. Like there's like a card called Ferocious, where it's like a dude yelling at a monitor. And it's like just just seems like very space opera to me, seeing a dude yelling at a monitor. <laughs> I don't know why. That's like a Star Trek thing, I guess. I yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not only, you know, are all the cards well drawn and the, the placemats are are well illustrated and well laid out. It's that's all of the rules that you need are contained on the placemat and any cards you have attached to it. And whenever you can make a game that simple, that elegant, I'm I'm already on board. Right? That that's a big sell for me. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Rob just shared the rules with us. That's all the rules. Like yeah. we're not skimming over anything. That's how simple the game is. And teaching it, you know, how long does it take you to teach people? Five, ten minutes? Not even. Like, it was, uh, to play a game, like, first time would, with the, like, the, the basic board would be about an hour. But to tell them how the game works, the flow, would be about five, ten minutes, I would say. Yeah. So, and what's great is that you can teach multiple people at once because you can visually show how it works on the board. You could show them how the board is modular. You can show them all, all the numbers and... Everything, mean it's just so easy everything's in front of you there's no kind of hidden information so roll your dice and I'll tell you the different options you can take yeah now I'm gonna say I do have one issue um, I think the cards are genius because you get to choose between the black cards or the white cards and the white cards are ongoing effects whereas the black ones are usually like more immediate like hey this benefits me right now but then I burn through it mm -hmm. right um, sometimes <laughs> if you're lucky and this is unlucky to everybody else a couple of white card combinations can break the game yes oh, yeah. to a degree that it's not fun for anybody else that you is know, true yeah you know it, and it happens and it's not gonna happen often because there's so many of them and they get shuffled together but if you're really lucky and get a card that like lets you re-roll you know lets you get more research or something and then piggybacks off that in some way that allows you to you know use that in a more effective manner um I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but well, I've seen it happen a couple times. One example I can think of, I don't know the names of the cards perfectly, but it was when I was playing with our friend Rich. He, I know one card, he had Plundering, which anytime you destroy something, you get extra research points. He also had the card that capture research at four, so you can get cards at four instead of six. Mm. He used this to <laughs> his advantage to basically momentum, momentum, dominance, aggression, you know, all this stuff to basically build up himself where it was almost impossible to catch him. He could win, like, on any turn he wanted. And he did, actually. He, because you just had that combination where the research would pay for everything else. Yeah. And, I mean, that's part of the game. You, like, you're trying to build your own engine, but just because there's only three card options, some of the cards are overpowered when combined with each other, 
your engine can just obliterate everybody else's to such a degree that the balance disappears. So one of the combos that I had in the game was dangerous and eager. So I kind of like wandered the board without any concern about getting attacked because dangerous allowed me to destroy both ships. So if I was attacked, I could destroy my ship, destroy your ship. So way to go for you to attacking me. And then using eager, I could redeploy the ship without taking up an action. And it actually even helped me because I could deploy my ship wherever I had a base on another planet. So maybe I was way off and wanted you to attack me so I could just pick it up and throw it back somewhere else. So yeah, that works really well. So um, a lot of these combinations, as Rob said, were game-breaking in a way, but in a kind of fun way because your race did have a flavor to it, which, you know, the game itself was very generic as far as you all have the same dice, you all do the same movements, so the white cards added a lot to the game. Yeah, now there's a lot of these combinations, and I think 99% of them are good. Like, everybody's going to have the same advantage because there are so many possible combinations. It's just occasionally one will feel a little imbalanced. Like, if you get rational, all of your attack and defense rolls are three. Attack on Ferocious, which subtracts one from every roll, and now they're all twos. There's another one in here if you um, have two dice parallel to each other, you can subtract two. So then you're rolling a one every <laughs> single time. You're going to win almost every roll that way. It makes it, you know, and it's hard, you know, the odds of getting both those cards is not really great. So it is luck. It's not like the game, like, rewards anybody for doing something over anybody else. It's just, if it does happen early in the game, other people are going to have a bad time. There is also uh, different ways to eliminate those cards as well. Uh, the black deck has a couple of sabotage cards, which forces the player to get rid of one of their white cards. And if you see potential combos that you don't want other people to have, you can mill the board. You can uh, eliminate the entire board by whenever you place down a cube or get a research. You say, oh, I don't want a card. I'm just going to get rid of what's out there. Three new cards. Have fun. That's true. That is fair. Um, yeah, the game, obviously when they play tested it, they must have seen these things. There are ways to counterbalance it. Um, I think it's more likely to happen in a learning game where people don't realize you can do these things or don't see that somebody else is stacking these cards. It almost reminds me a little bit in a way of King of Tokyo because mm. you do have such a dice mechanic to the game and then you do have these special abilities that add to your play which kind of like benefits you or can kind of throw people a little bit. And it's really a lighter version of deeper games but it definitely does grasp some sort of that element of that space exploration. So... It's definitely not Eclipse or Twilight Imperium um, in any stretch of the imagination, but it does kind of give you that little entry level to those games if you haven't had a chance to play those yet. I said that's one of its greatest strengths uh, is that it is not like Twilight Imperium because, no offense, Chris, but Twilight Imperium is a tough game to get into. Oh, sure. But it is one of those space opera epic games yes. where you're definitely living the 4X type of universe. So... I would honestly put this more akin towards a cosmic encounter type of game because of the randomness, because of the the way the powers can be completely different. And for me, that's actually more fun. I, I like, I'm a big fan of space opera stuff. But in terms of like board games for it, there's very few that can catch my attention. Most of them end up being too long. That's part of the problem because they try to go like, the, here's the culture, here's the background, here's what they can do, here's all these special powers you can get. Three hours later, you're realizing, well, I've only used that special power once or twice. It has not benefited me one one 
been I, uh, ever. Meanwhile, there's an armada killing me, and my armada can't do anything to them, and it just gets boring. It yeah. becomes like routine. At least in this, like, it's very simple. You just want to try and put exact numbers on a planet. One thing that actually we didn't mention was that to actually colonize a planet, you need the exact number on the faces of the die. So if there's an eight on that planet, you need eight on two dice, to do two or three dice to somehow combo and do that. That's just very simple. There's the combat mechanic, which is lowest number wins, and you go from there. It... It's a game that honestly feels like it's designed to be more of a game than an experience. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... A lot of times I'm in the mood for something, you know, more sci-fi, space opery, and there aren't that many. So this is a good one. Like, it fits in between, like you said, like Cosmic Encounter, where like, you can play it in under an hour. Nobody has to be, you know, it's not super AP. You, and it doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah. Exactly. If this was a three-hour game, we would have be having a completely different conversation right now. Probably. In three hours, we can try out three different boards, which is part of the fun. Yeah. Sure. All right, so let's talk about some ratings here. So, Rob, this is your game. Is this a, a buy, a play, or a dodge? Well, since I bought it already. <laughs> I mean, I, wonder. I will, I'll be honest with you. Um, I want to say it's a buy... Current, the current print run right now, I would probably avoid, mainly because of the dice. The way the dice were set. It's not exactly the best quality. I will say this, though. If you don't mind like going to FunForge and saying, hey, my dice kind of suck. Can you please send me new ones? And they'll send it to you. Like I got my uh, dice back in two days, like I said before. They're going to be pretty good about that. And they even sent a confirmation email making sure... It came in and all that stuff, which was nice of them. They didn't have to do that. That's that's good customer service. I would say if you don't care about that and if you're thinking the quality's not up to snuff, definitely buy it. But uh, it's definitely a play for sure. And uh, I do recommend it. It's a great intro game for the gaming as well. You can get people involved in this because you can show them, like, this is how modular boards work. This is how a dice mechanic can work. This is how the cards work. That's good stuff, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm with you. I think play for sure. It's a great game. I cannot recommend anybody buy it at this point. They've got to fix the dice in the next print run, uh, especially at the price point with those dice. Mm. That's what is the price point for this game? Sixty. It was sixty dollars. So, I mean, if you're getting it for forty online, maybe with the dice fixed, sixty with busted dice. That's tough, but um. The game itself is really good. Like I'm not that's not a diss on the game. That's just a matter of economics. And I know it's a Kickstarter game, so that happens. Prices are higher initially. But um that's a tough one for me. Yeah, um it's an innovative and interesting game with a simple rule set and uh it was a ton of fun to play. And I was going to say bye until I heard it was a sixty dollar price point instead of the <laughs> uh, instead of the forty dollar, which is what I had just assumed it was gonna be something like forty ish. Um I was going to say buy and just email them and get them to replace the dice. It's worth waiting two days. Um, yeah, I don't know about the 60. It is absolutely a play. Buy, definitely hold off would be my thought here. And you, I'm, I might hold off until the price either drops down or they add more content because I don't know if I'd feel $60 is. I think for me as well, this is a play. This game has a lot to offer in a very light package and very um, gateway type of game, kind of get involved with it. And as Rob was saying, you could teach this game very simply because everything happens in front of you. 
you're rolling dice, you're checking your playmat, not really that difficult. $60, it doesn't rate. Um, and even if the dice were quality, I think it's still missing something for me. I mean, the artwork on the cards are great, the multiple combinations are great, but I don't know, maybe rocket the rocket dice from Alien Frontiers, or maybe the boards themselves are a good, thick, quality cardboard, but I would like to see something a little more complex you know, in the artwork there, because they really, you know, they dropped the ball. They did a great job on the cards, and then the plants themselves are kind of generic, the artwork, and especially, I would have liked to seen some sort of either fog of war where you're not sure what you're walking into, maybe it's a black hole, or maybe the planets had some sort of bonus to them, or detraction, like, hey, this is a gas giant, minus two to all attacks, or you lose a ship in this area. So the board itself had some more additional quality to it other than just the the combinations of how you set the board up. Yeah, if you gave the board more character like that, I would I would definitely start feeling more like $60 is a reasonable price. There's always the potential for more expansions. Sure. We, mm -hmm. we poo-pooed on a few of them earlier, but like in this type of case, this would be very easy tile expansions. All you need mm -hmm. is... Sure. Like another set of ten tiles, which do special abilities like that. So I think there is a lot of potential here, where it could get a become a better game than it is. And this is almost a game that's kind of like screaming for a a reskinning too. I like the fact that they went out and did their own universe, but like you were saying, this could be a Mass Effect game, or it could be a number of other you know Starcraft game or something that very simply could be turned into something with a bigger lore to it. That'd be cool. It would be pretty cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. It'd be hard to imbalance the the, the player cards. <laughs> like if you did StarCraft, you'd have to imbalance them a little. Like Zerg couldn't play the same as yeah, but, Protoss. but maybe you would have Zerg has multiple units. Maybe they have a twenty sided die. Yeah. So yeah. they would have a lot of Zerg, but they'd be very weak. Where the Protoss would have like you know more tech. Yeah. yeah. But how would we do a Zerg rush? A lot of dice, a lot of little dice. <laughs> That's very true. Eight yeah. four-sided, or yeah, 20, like you said, because yeah. going high numbers. Yeah, 20 is too high. Make it a 10-sided. Yeah, <laughs> 20 is pretty high. <laughs> yeah, make it like, do they move 10 spaces instead of 8? I mean, that, that makes more sense to me. Yeah. And what, that now there's your Zerg rush right there. there four 10s yeah, yeah. after you. <laughs> you have a ton of dice out, but it'd be impossible almost to land like the right number in any planet to colonize it. Exactly. Hmm. Well, but you could destroy everybody. <laughs> well, you, all you need is one dice for a 10. All right, so I think it's pretty even across the board. We all really like this game. We're a little iffy on the price and the quality in the current edition. Um, obviously, if you're going to get enough play out of it, even those things probably aren't as big a deal. Like, Rob, I'm sure you don't regret this decision buying this. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, I've like I said, I've taught literally about 20 people in the store how to play this by now. And I've had several of them keep coming asking for more. Hey, did you bring Quantum? Hey, you bring it today? We're going to play it, right? So... Uh, it, it paid for itself in that way. Yeah, so. yeah. And I've had a lot of fun with it, and I definitely want to play some more. All right. But um, that's everything for this week. Real quick before we go, of course, follow us on Facebook, Board Gamers Anonymous, Twitter, at BGA Podcast. We are on Board Game Geek. Don't know the URL, but it's on there. Just search for us. And board game, or, uh, BoardGamersAnonymous.com also. We're, we're gonna, you're going to find all the show notes, all our past episodes. Easy to download. And if you live in the New York, New Jersey area, make sure to come down to Staten Island at Myriad Games, because that's where most of us hang out. Absolutely, yeah. We're there every Sunday, officially. We're there every Thursday, officially. And we're there every other day of the week, unofficially. <laughs> <laughs> you'll find somebody to play a game. Um, and if Rob's there, you can play Quantum. There you go. <laughs> you'll, you'll get to meet the, the, uh, the face behind this lovely, lovely voice. 
<laughs> opera singer smooth, that he is. Smooth jazz time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. That's everything for this week. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Rob. And this is Daniel. Until next time, we'll save you a seat at the table. Awesome. So let's pack this up. Let's get back to Mary and play it. After lunch. <laughs>